Hallelujah. So good to see in God's house. You may be seated, but how many, yeah, you know, might be seated in your seat. I just keep thinking, but you don't have to be seated in your spirit. Amen. You know, I might be seated there, but I, I just pray that your spirit stands every time we come into the presence of God. Amen. It's so good to see you. Like I said, in God's house, the title of my message tonight is what kind of people should we be? It's taken from second Peter chapter three, verses uh, 20 to 22, I believe, or 10 to 12, rather. But before I go there, because I'm going to get back to the title, but I want to start even before we go to pray. I want to start with a opening text taken from first Timothy uh, chapter four, verse eight. And Paul tells us this. He says, physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things. Holding promise for both the present life and for the life to come. How many of you want those kinds of promises in your life? Amen. Not only promises today, promises that are fulfilled today uh, for every need that you and I might have, but promises that extend all the way into eternity. Promises that never lose their power. Promises that, that never run dry. Promises that are always true. And available to us. And if we want those kinds of promises in our life, then we have to be the right kind of people. And that's kind of what I want to look at this evening. But first, let's go to the Lord in prayer one more time. And then we'll go to the word. Father God, again, we just thank you that there is no God like Jehovah. Thank you. There is no one like you in power. No one like you in glory. No one like you in mercy or grace. No one like you, Father God. No one likened unto your awesomeness and unto your uh, worthiness, Father God. So we're careful to give you all that praise this evening. And God, I pray that none of us here tonight would take your presence, your power, your spirit for granted. Because we need you every day. We need you every moment. We need you more right now than we needed you when we woke up, Father God, this morning. I need you as I stand behind this pulpit. And I pray for your anointing, your power, your strength, your wisdom, your revelation. And I pray the same upon your people, God. I come against every hindering spirit, whatever it might be, in body, mind, or spirit. And I pray, Father God, that your word would come forth, that it would accomplish the purpose that you have sent it, God. And I know that the the purpose for your word is to transform us, to make us more like you, to empower us, encourage us, to build us up in the most high faith. And I pray that that happens this evening by the power of your word and your presence. In Jesus' name, all of God's people said, Amen. Over the last few weeks, we've been looking at, like I told you, this old man. I've not purposely tried to make this any kind of series, but we've been looking at the old man and the new man. And according to this passage that we read in 1 Timothy, one of the most valuable endeavors that the new man uh, can enter into or focus on is the pursuit of this thing called godliness. Because godliness holds promises both today, like I said, and tomorrow and next year and next century, if the Lord doesn't tarry and even into the future. How many of you know there's no higher compliment than can be paid to a Christian than to be called a godly person? No greater compliment can be paid to you as a Bible-believing Christian than to be called a godly person. There's no greater achievement in Christian living than to arrive at a place spiritually where you are identified with God and with Christ by the way that you and I live. There's no greater goal for the believer than the pursuit of godliness in my personal belief. And I hope to show you that in the word of God because it has value in all things. 
The Bible says godliness has a value in all things. Godliness has a value in your marriage. Godliness has a value in your job. Godliness has a value in your education. Godliness has value in all things, the Bible says. There's not one area of your life that godliness in a good way cannot affect as long as you're godly. And along with that godliness, see, the way I want you to look at godliness as I begin to preach about it, it says, the Word of God, godliness holds promises. And I want you to, I want you to picture godliness as a hand of God that is holding the promises of God. And when godliness is developed in your life, and when godliness is allowed access to your life, I want you to know that it holds promises in its hands. So I want you to just keep visually that in your mind as we go through this. There's no greater goal for the believer than the pursuit of godliness, like I said, because it has value in all things. And I don't know about you, church, but I want my life to have value. I want my ministry to have value. I want my preaching as I stand before the people of God to have value. I want my marriage to have value. I want my family and my friendships and my relationships to have value. I want everything about my life to have value. And I hope your desire is the same, that every area of your life has some sort of value to it. You see, the Bible tells us that, that there's, and I'm not, I don't want to get off, but I want you to understand and realize that there are two kinds of vessels in God's eyes, honorable vessels and unhonorable vessels. And these honorable vessels, which are considered godly vessels, uh, uh, bring glory to God, the Bible says. They are of great use and they are profitable to the master. Uh, Profit and value go hand in hand. I want my life to have value and I want your life to have value. I want everything about your life to have value, church. And in order for that to happen, we have to have this thing called godliness established in our life. The only way we can have it established in our life is to understand what godliness is all about. And that's what I want to talk to you this evening. The truth is you can be the most conscientious person in town. You and I can be the most zealous church worker that you have ever seen. You and I or you or I could be a dynamic preacher or a teacher or a or a deliverer of God's word. You and I can be a great witness for the Lord. You and I could could be a talented and energetic church leader, But the reality is none of those things really matter if you are not a godly person. And it's what you and I, it's what I want to talk about this evening. Even though the word godly and godliness appear only a few times in the New Testament, the entire Bible, I hope you understand, is a book on godliness. The entire Word of God is a book on godliness and a book on holiness. Godliness is a theme that runs all throughout the Word of God from Genesis to Revelations, and it should run through our lives just the same. Just like godliness and the theme of godliness runs through the Word of God, it should run through the lives of the people of God as well. Godliness should run through your mind. Godliness should run through your mouth. Godliness should run through the work of your hands. Godliness should order the steps of your feet. Godliness should be a part of every area of your life. Godliness should be the foundation of your marriage. Godliness should be the foundation of your your job or your business or, or your finances. Godliness is the very foundation that you must have established in your life if you want the promises of God and the goodness of God to be delivered in your life. 
life. If you want a taste of God and see that He is good, godliness must be a part of Christian living. You see, the theme of every Christian life should be one of godliness, church. When someone looks at your life and they, and there is a theme, I hope you understand there is a theme that runs from every one of our lives. There is a theme. It could be trouble that runs to your life. That's the theme of your life. You look at your life and that's all your life is about, trouble. You can look at another life and all it is is a theme of sadness. You can look at another life and it's a theme of happiness or joy. There is a theme that flows out of every single one of our lives. And Paul is trying to teach us that the theme of godliness should be at the center of every believer's life. You see, the reality is the cover of every Christian story should be godly above everything else. Your life has a story. My life has a story. And when my, the story of your life is told, if the cover, you see, uh, the best way I can say it is a book. You pick up a book. It doesn't matter what's inside on the cover tells you everything about what's inside. It should be the same way with you and me. The cover of our life, the cover of our story should be godly. When someone looks at your life, They should see godliness. When you and I call ourselves Christians, attached to that should be godliness. And it's exactly what we want to look at tonight. The reality is there's no greater Christian pursuit than that of godliness and holiness in our lives. There's a lot of things that we can pursue in the name of God, and they're all well and good. Besides pursuing God ourselves... The number one pursuit is this thing called godliness, and it's what we should go after. No greater Christian pursuit than to be identified with Jesus Christ and with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and in the way that we live. In Titus 2, 12 to 13, it'll take me just a little bit to get to our title slide, but I'm leading up to it. In Titus 2, 12 to 13, Paul breaks down the very goal of every Christian life when he says you are to say He says this, you are to say no to ungodliness and worldly passion. You're to say no to the old man that we've been talking about. You're to say no to the old way of life. You're to say no to the lust of the flesh and no to the lust of the eyes and no to the pride of life that will knock at your door every single day. You're you're to say no to sin that will try to seduce you. You're supposed to say no to to the pleasures and the panderings that this world will place before you. You are to say no to these things, Paul said. I want you to remember Moses had to say no to the pleasures and the treasures of Egypt in order to be counted among the people of God. Moses came to a place in his life where he had to say no. And you and I must come to a place when it comes to godliness to, to, to be able to say no as well. Paul said, you are to say no to the things of this world. No to worldly passions. Understand, godliness can never be attained if we don't know how to say no. You see, there's a word in our Christian vocabulary that a lot of saints have forgotten, and it is the word no. No, Satan! You see, some of us have to learn how to say no in our Christian faith if we want to achieve this thing called godliness. No, I don't want to do drugs. No, I don't want to go to that party. No, I I don't want to sleep with you out of wedlock. No, I don't want to do this. No, I don't want to look at pornography. No, I, I don't want to go here with you. And no, I don't want to go there with you. And no, Satan, I'm not going to follow you. And no, I'm not going to give in. And no, I'm not going to give up. 
No, I'm not going to stop praying. No, I'm not going to stop fasting. No, I'm not going to stop believing. No, I'm not going to stop trusting God when the devil comes at you to try to seduce you away. By the things of this world, let me tell you, fear and, 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 and anxiety and disbelief, those are things of the world, just like the pleasures of the world. And we must learn to say no to all of them. No! I'm not going to hang out with you anymore. I've changed my life. No, I'm not going to do those things. You understand what I'm saying, church? We've got to learn how to say no. And until we learn how to say no, sometimes in the same way, you got to say no to your kids. we got a lot of adults. No, I'm not going to let you do that. No, I'm not going to let you enter into, into this. Or You understand as a parent, no, you got to take authority sometimes. Got to take authority. We gotta, we've got to protect. I told you a couple weeks ago, got to guard your heart above all else. And by saying no, that's how we do those things. So we've got to learn how to say no. Paul instructs us to say no to ungodliness and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives. Complete opposite. Say no to ungodliness and say yes to godliness. Close the door to ungodliness, Paul is saying. Say no to ungodliness, but say yes to godliness. Complete opposite. We have to learn to live godly lives in this present age, Paul said, while we wait for the blessed hope, which is the return of Jesus Christ. I want you to not skip over that passage where it says, live godly lives in this present age. You see, I want you to understand that godliness is for right now. It's not for tomorrow. It's not after the party. It's not after I get married. It's not when I turn 40. It's not when I turn 60. It's not when I turn gray. Godliness is for right now. It's for today. Today is the day of salvation. Today, if you want the promises of God. Today, if you want victory. Today, if you want to be pleasing to God. Today, if you want to be good and acceptable, which godliness brings uh, to the sight of God. And we'll talk about that. Uh, you and I have to understand what I'm teaching. We have to learn that today is when God expects us to be godly. He's speaking to us this evening, on this date, at this moment, about godliness. And He doesn't want you to wait till tomorrow. He doesn't want you to wait until next week or next year so you can accomplish a few other things in this life, so you can fiddle around and fool around with the world any longer. He wants you to pursue godliness today. Seek me while I might be found, God said. Because there's coming a time where I won't be found. There's coming a time when, when you'll look and I won't be there. You'll knock and I won't answer. You've got to seek right now. We've got to, we've got to strive to be godly right now while we wait for the blessed hope, the coming of Jesus Christ. The truth is there's no greater call than to live a godly life in the eyes of God. When Paul outlines his own personal job description as an apostle of Jesus Christ. He describes it as being called to further the faith of God's people and their knowledge of truth so they might be led to godliness, the Bible says. In this passage that I just read, Paul outlines the ultimate goal for every believer, including himself, an apostle of Jesus Christ, and that is godliness, church. Paul's goal, understand, wasn't to be the greatest preacher or teacher or apostle that the world has ever known, even though, in my opinion, he was. 
Paul's goal wasn't just to write 13 epistles and to start a bunch of churches, even though he did. Paul's goal wasn't simply to preach some great sermons to thousands of people, even though he did, and lives were changed. All His goal was to be godly himself and to lead others to godliness as well. Every letter he wrote was to lead the people to godliness. Every sermon he preached was to lead God's people to godliness. Everything he did, and I want you to understand and remember that Paul's epistles were to the new man. He didn't write these letters to the old man. He wrote these epistles to the church. He wrote these epistles to those who called themselves believers. He wrote these letters to the born-again believer. He wrote these letters to the new man. And every letter that he wrote was to establish some type of Christian living. And it was to lead those people, those new converts, those new believers to this place called godliness. So often we read some of these things, oh, that's not for me. He must be preaching to the heathen. I want you to understand that Paul's epistles were written to you and me. You and me, the born-again believer, the new man that needed to learn how to grow in maturity and grow up in the things and, and the knowledge of God. That's why he wrote those letters. And today he's telling the new man that you must have godliness established in your life. Please understand, God is looking For godliness, church, he calls us to live godly lives in this present age as we await the coming of the Lord. Live godly lives. You know what you and I are supposed to be doing between now and the time Jesus comes back? Live godly lives. I'll make it real simple for you. Live godly lives. Paul made it very simple. Between now and the time that the clouds roll back, live godly lives. Between now and the time that the trumpet of the Lord shall sound and and the angel of the Lord will descend with a shout, I want you to live godly lives. Between Between now and that great and terrible day, I want you to live godly lives. It's very simple in word, but sometimes it's so difficult for us to do. But Paul is saying... As we wait for the coming of the Lord, I want you to live godly lives. Please understand that, church. He didn't say between now and then, between now and the time that the Lord comes back, I want you to store up a bunch of treasures on earth. He didn't say, I want you to get your name up in lights. He didn't want you to, he didn't say, I want you to do great and mighty things in in the name of yourself here. You understand, of all the things that he could have said or told us to do between now and the time the Lord comes back, he says, live godly lives. That's what he said, plain and simple. And the reality is why? Because If we don't live godly lives, and I've taught you this before, if we don't live godly lives, we've got no light. If we don't live godly lives, we've got no salt, we've got no taste, we've got, we, 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 we're no preservative. You understand what I'm saying? I hope you understand that the saint is the preservative between now and the time that the Lord comes back. We, as light and we as salt, we're the ones that preserve the things of God. And it is our job and it's our responsibility to be godly so that we can have effect on this dark and dying world. And so that souls can get saved and so people can come into the kingdom before the Lord comes back. I hope you understand that, church. In his first letter to Timothy, speaking of Paul again, 
In his first letter to Timothy, Paul again emphasizes this thing of godliness. And he says, first of all, you read it yourself, first of all, above all, above all else, he makes this a priority. As a matter of priority, I want you to pray for those in authority that you may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness, church. And he goes on and closes that by saying, for this is good and acceptable in the sight of God, our Savior. How many of you know it's good to be godly? It's good to be godly. It's not just good because you get promises. Remember I said with godliness comes this hand of promise being delivered into your life. Uh, being being uh, godly is a, a good thing. It's good to be godly, church, because it pleases the Lord. It is good and acceptable in the sight of God. I say that, and Paul said that, because he wants you to understand that the eyes of the Lord wander to and fro across the earth, the Bible says, looking for someone that he can bless, that he can Prove himself faithful to. And the only ones that he will do that to are the godly, the Bible says. I hope you understand that each and every day, God sits up there in his throne room of grace. And he gazes across the globe. And he's looking for a godly individual that he can pour out a promise on. That he can deliver from this and deliver from that. That he can take to a higher level. That he can manifest his power in a greater way too. He is looking for someone who's godly. You see, Jesus died on the cross to make us righteous. But I want you to understand there is some major responsibility on our part when it comes to this thing called godliness. And I'm going to teach you that. But I want you to understand that God is looking for godly because it's good to him. God doesn't want to look on things that aren't good. It's good and acceptable. And how many of you want to be good and acceptable to God? Then we have to learn how to be godly. We have to understand what kind of people we should be. It's what the Bible is trying to teach us. In 1 Timothy 6.11, Paul encourages Timothy and the reader to do just what I said, to pursue godliness as a way of life. He tells us, and I'll look at the definition of pursue, but he says pursue godliness as a way of life. He tells us to chase after godliness as as a way of life. He tells us to track down, you might say, godliness as a way of life, not just something you talk about. Not just something you put on on Sundays. Not just something you wrap around yourself come the weekend when you walk in the doors of South Metro Ministries. I want you to understand that godliness is not some temporary thing or a temporary title we can attach to our lives. You can't, you can't do that, church. Godliness, the godliness that I'm talking about. It's something that has to be chased after. It's something that has to be pursued. It's something we have to relentlessly go after without quitting, church. That's what pursue means. We can't back off. We must pursue it. It, it, Not just talk about it, church. This thing called godliness can't be this facade that that, that we construct on Sunday for the pastor, the the people that are sitting around me. I don't look godly enough. I'm not talking godly enough. And we put on this fake little facade come Sunday or maybe even Wednesday. And we think we're godly because I'm doing all the right things, church. But I'm going to teach you that godliness has nothing to do with all those things we do. It is a byproduct of 
what godliness is all about. We're going to look at it. The word pursue means unrelentingly. It means with all perseverance. It means never giving up. It's like I said, it means more than a Sunday suit. It means something much, much more. Above all else, the question that I have this evening or the Holy Spirit is, what are we pursuing above all else? What are we pursuing above all else? What is our principal pursuit in life? Is it wealth? Is it fame? Is it fortune? Is it fanfare? Is it recognition? Is it a penthouse suite? Is it a BMW? Is it uh, popularity and prestige? Is it pleasure? What is it? What is? The question is, what is our principal pursuit in life? What is our, what is the unrelenting, never-ending, top priority in our lives? The thing that we are not giving up on, the thing we will not quit being focused on, the thing that will go through hell and high water to acquire in our life. What is that top thing that we unrelentingly pursue? Listen, I know people that go after wealth like it's the last thing that they could ever go after on earth. And they'll do everything and anything and sacrifice their entire life for another dollar. I want you to understand it's not what God tells us to pursue. What is the unrelenting, never-ending top priority in our lives? Because according to Paul, if it's not godliness, then it's the wrong pursuit. If it's not godliness, then it's the wrong goal. If it's not godliness, then it's the wrong aim. If it's not godliness, it holds no great value for now and in the future. Understand, church, according to Paul, without godliness, our life is not good and acceptable to God. Ouch. Sometimes that hurts. But I do all these good things, God. I sing in the choir. I give a lot of money. I work myself to the bone for the the things of the church. I I make a lot of calls. I I do a lot of things. I I play the drums and I I sing here and and I, I, I do a lot, God. But please understand, and I'm going to teach you what I mean. None of that has anything to do with godliness. Has nothing to do with godliness, church. According to Paul, without godliness, our life is not acceptable to God. And it's not good I want my life to be good. I want my life to be acceptable. And I know you do too. It's why we have to have this thing called godliness established in our life. And it's why Paul exhorts us to say no to the things of this world. No to the things that would keep us from God. No to the things that would seduce us, like I said, and lead us away from that place that God has called us to be. And he calls us to live upright and godly lives as we await the coming of the Lord. The reality is godliness as outlined in Scripture is to be the greatest single pursuit you could have. Single greatest pursuit you could have. When you and I wake up in the morning, the one thing we should chase after is godliness. Not counting God. That's above everything else. Okay? I'm saying it's the single greatest pursuit. It's not a ministry. It's, it, it's not anything spiritual. It is just godliness. It's the single greatest pursuit, church, that we should have. In Peter, 2 Peter 3, 10 to 12, going to my title, it says this, But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, 
in which the heavens will pass away with a roar and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat. And the earth and all of its works will be burned up, Paul says. And then he asks a question. He makes this incredible statement about the destruction of the earth. He, he discusses the end of the world and the day of destruction. And then he asks this poignant question. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people should we be? Sometimes you read that and you wonder, wow, what kind of people should we be? Think about it, though. Peter uses the most monumental day in Christendom to stir up our Christian duty. And he asks this stirring question in the light of the the coming of the Lord. What kind of people should we be due to the fact that the earth will soon pass away? What kind of people should we be due to the fact that life is coming to a close? What kind of people should we be? Due to the fact that time is running out and the clock is still ticking, what kind of people should we be? Due to the fact that the end is nearer than you and I think, nearer than when we woke up this morning, what kind of people should we be, Paul says. He asks this to the church that is waiting for the coming of the Lord between now and that day. What kind of people should we be? He tells them there's a day coming where everything about this earth... Any affections that you have for this world will be burned up. Anything that your heart is attached to in this world will be burned up. Anything you're in love with with this world will one day be destroyed. So between now and that day, what kind of people should we be? And there could probably be a million different answers, but without any hesitation, without waiting for any kind of a response, because he is so assured of the kind of people we should be, he doesn't, it's almost a rhetorical question. I don't want your answer, because there's only one answer, Paul says. And that's godly. What kind of people should we be? And Paul says, we are to be godly people, because the day of the Lord is coming, and it's coming soon. Because judgment will be coming on the earth. Because you and I are going to have to stand before the Lord. Because we're going to have to give an account one day of everything that we've done. Between now and that moment, what kind of people should we be? People that will have to stand before the Lord and either cringe or rejoice. What kind of people should we be? What kind of people should we be? And Paul makes it very simple. One word. Godly. Godly people. You see, so often, church, so often, we miss it. It's one word. Oh, we want to be popular people. We want to be powerful people. We want to be meaningful people. We want to be visible people. I want you to understand there's people you will never see do a single thing in the house of God that are the most godly people you can know because of their relationship with God. It doesn't have to stand behind the pulpit to be godly. The call to godliness isn't reserved for here, and it's not reserved for here, and it's not reserved for here. It's for everyone under the voice of the Word of God. It's, if, uh, it's for everyone that calls themselves a Christian church. Godliness is the duty of every single believer, and it should be the single greatest pursuit of every new man. When you are born again, the first thing that you should be taught, and we teach it in our New Beginners class, is to pursue godliness. To say no to the things of this world that will try to seduce you and say yes to this thing called godliness. To a new way of life. To a relationship with Jesus Christ. It's, it's what we have to understand regardless of your Christian tenure. 
I don't care if you were saved yesterday, this morning, 10 or 20 years ago. I want you to understand that every single one of us who are born again, it is our duty to be godly, to pursue godliness. Godliness should always be our greatest goal. Godliness is something we should chase after every single day. It's something that we should relentlessly and endlessly pursue because this world and all it contains, like I said, is coming to an end and because godliness has great value. So the question we ask is, what is godliness? I've talked all about it, but in reality, what is godliness? What are the marks of someone who is godly? How does someone become godly? What do you think of when you think of godliness? Typically, when you ask those questions, the response includes words like godlike or Christlike or a Christian or someone that's moral or loving or kind. You might say a pastor or a priest. You might say an elder. You might there, there's probably a hundred different uh, titles or words that you might think of, but it typically has something to do when you ask that question of what, when, what do you think of when you think of godliness? It, it typically has to do with Christian behavior or Christian conduct. But tonight I want you to understand that godliness goes so far beyond character and even conduct because godliness is even more than that. Godliness is the foundation on which Christian character is built. Godliness is the foundation on which Christian conduct is created. And, I, and we're going to look at exactly what it is in the moments that we have left. I want to look at what godliness actually is. And to give you a good understanding of this, I'm going to start in Genesis chapter 5. I'm going to go through every chapter of the Bible. But Genesis chapter 5 21 to 24, in those three passages, those three verses, we discover a man named Enoch, who was the father of Methuselah, who was the oldest man in the Bible, lived over 900 years old. Methuselah, and in these three verses, church, we find a summary of Enoch's whole life. And it says this, he walked with God. The Bible tells us right before this, it tells us that he lived 365 years. It says in these 365 years, his life was summed up in four words. He walked with God. And then he was no more, the Bible says. 365 years. Okay, not 365 days. 365 years of his life was summed up into four words. He walked with God. And I'm wondering, church... It doesn't matter how old you are. I'm wondering what the sum story of your life is. Wondering what the sum story of my life is. If my life came to an end and somebody had to speak four words over me or four words over you, I wonder how close it would be to he walked with God or she walked with God. I don't think there is a greater. I don't think there's any four greater words that can be spoken over any human being at the end of their life than they walked with God. I hope you understand the intensity of that kind of relationship with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. He walked with God, church. He had an intimate, personal, loving relationship with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords church. No matter where he went, he walked with God. No matter what he did, he walked with God. 
No matter what his day consisted of, he walked with God for 365 years. No matter what great strides he accomplished or what setbacks he might have encountered, no matter what life brought his way, good or bad, happy or sad, the Bible tells us that the sum of his life was that he walked with God. He walked with God, church. And it's exactly why in Hebrews 11:5 it tells us that Enoch pleased God. You remember chapter 11 in Hebrews is all about these great people in the word of God, people of great faith. And here it sets Enoch aside and he pleased God. He pleased God. And the reason that he pleased God, church, is because he walked with God. He pleased God because he walked with God. When you put his life When you put his 365 years under a microscope, when you put his 133,225 days of life under a microscope, what you will discover is that he walked with God and he pleased God. No greater testament, no greater testimony could be spoken over any one of us than to have these words. Oh, yeah, he walked with God and he pleased God. And everything that he went through in life, when, when, the, when this went bad and, and that went bad, when, when this fell apart and that fell apart, when success came his way, when blessings came his way, when adversity came his way, he, he she, they, they walked with God and they, they pleased God. The things of this world never got in the way. Success never led him astray. All of these things that happened in life, I, 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 I put their life under a microscope and examined it, and the only thing, that he, they walked with God. And he pleased God. That should be our desire, church, to, to walk with God and talk with God. Like the song says, a long life's narrow way. That's the kind of relationship that you and I should have. I want you to know that Enoch walked with God and he pleased God because he was devoted to God. That's exactly what godliness is all about. It is a devotion to God. The actual meaning, church, of the word godly in the New Testament, it conveys a thought. And this is the thought. It conveys a personal attitude we have toward God that results in actions that are pleasing to God. And I'll say it again. Godliness, as outlined, the meaning of it in the New Testament, conveys a personal attitude that we have toward God that results in the actions that are pleasing to God. You see, when you and I have a right attitude toward God like Enoch did, the things that we do in life will please God. When you and I have a right relationship with God that's good and acceptable, God, and and pleasing, we'll, we'll please God. The things that we do, our life will become good and acceptable when we have a right relationship with God. That's what you have to understand godliness is all about, church. And this is what Paul, the Holy Spirit, and God is leading us to. He is leading us to this place called godliness. Godliness is far more than an action. It's an attitude that we have towards God. It's the the attitude of the heart and the the attitude of our mind, church. It is is the fear of God. It is the love of God. It is is the desire that we have for God. 
If you want to know if you're godly and you want to evaluate your own place of spiritual maturity and you want to ask yourself, am I really a godly person? If people look at me, do they see a godly individual? Do they see a godly woman? Do they see a godly man? Do they see a godly young person? Do they see a godly senior citizen? The only way we can assure ourselves of that is by asking these questions. Do I have the fear of God? Do I have a love of God? Do I have a a desire for God? And if the answer is no, we're not godly. We're not godly. If we can't say that we have a fear of God, and I'm not saying no, that we tremble, you know, that kind of fear of God. I'm talking about an awe and a reverence that He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords, that He holds all the earth in His hand. That just like He he brought forth the world with a, a word, church, and brought forth us with a breath, that's what I'm talking about, fear, that there is an awesome God in the heavens that has the power to... Poo! The earth is His footstool, the Bible says. He props His feet on the globe that we live on. And if we don't understand the awesomeness of who He is, that He is Jehovah God, the only wise God, the only true God, the one that holds life and death in His hands, if we don't have that fear of God and understand the awesomeness of God, we can't be godly. If we don't have that, if we don't have the love of God, desire a relationship with God, and I'm going to preach these next week, so I don't want to get too far ahead of myself, but if we don't have these three things, we don't have godliness, church. Without these, there are, is no godliness. Understand, you're not godly because you come to church. I'm not godly because I stand up here behind a pulpit and preach you a sermon. I want you to understand that you're not godly because you sing three, three songs on, on Wednesday and four songs on Wednesday because you listen to Christian radio. That, that's, that doesn't make you godly. You're not godly because you sing in a choir. You're not godly because you play a piano. No disrespect over here. You're not godly because you come to church three times out of the week. You understand what I'm saying? You're not godly because you carry a big Bible. You're not godly. Listen, I'm not godly, like I said, because I stand behind this pulpit, because godliness is far more than an activity or a function. It's far more than something that I do. It is a fundamental focus on God. It is a fundamental, ground-laying, life-building block that I must lay. And if I don't have that, nothing else that I do matters. Don't matter how many sermons I preach to you and woo, how loud I get and how much of this I can do. That means nothing. If I'm not godly in God's eyes, if I'm not devoted to God, if I'm not wholly given to God, if I don't give my time to God before the message, during the message, and after the message is over. That's what godliness is all about. Being godly means you seek after your relation, a deeper relationship with Him every moment that you wake up. It means that you seek His face while you're driving along the way, while you're at the workplace. That's what godliness means. It means a, a fundamental devotion 
to our Savior and to the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. But, oh Lord, we're so busy pursuing and running after so many other things that God gets pushed aside. And we wonder why when someone looks at our life, they don't see God. And so what do we try to do in its place? We work, work, work. Serve, serve, serve. Do, do, do. Act, act, act. Deed, deed, deed. No, that'll make me godly. No, it won't. It'll make you tired and worn out. That's all it'll do. And you know what else it'll do? It'll get you mad at God. Because you think, I'm doing all of this, God. How come you ain't blessing me? And you get mad at God when God's sitting there saying, Ooh, you're doing all of this without a relationship with me. You're doing all of this without a devotion to me. Without a heart for me and a love for me and without an intimacy with me. That's why you're not being blessed. Because you you don't understand what it means to be godly. You think godliness is all about something you do and not someone you are supposed to be. Understand, church, godliness has nothing to do, like I said, with what we do. It's who we are. And Paul says, be godly. Be devoted. Everything about your life, every area of your life, be consecrated and devoted to me. I want you to understand, Enoch had a relationship with God. He walked with him. The Bible tells us Adam and Eve did the same thing before they sinned. Walk with God in the cool of the day. Walked with him, church. It's exactly what you and I have to do. Listen, you and I can be devoted to Christian things without being devoted to God. I hope you understand that. We can be devoted to this church, South Metro, and not be devoted to God. We can be devoted to a ministry. We can be devoted to great works. We can be devoted to service. I can be devoted to the nursery. I could be devoted to a whole lot of good things without being devoted to God. And God is saying, look, please understand godliness. Godliness is the attitude that you are to have towards me. It is the attitude of the heart. And from that attitude, from that relationship, from that devotion, will spring forth actions that are pleasing and acceptable and good to me. And God is saying, don't get it backwards. Don't do all of these things and think that's what pleases me because all I want from you is a relationship. Please understand what Paul is teaching here. Understand, God had the most intimate relationship that he could with his creation before man sinned. And he sent his son Jesus Christ to die so that we could have that relationship once again. Please realize Jesus shed his blood. The main reason Jesus shed his blood so that you and I could have a relationship with God. So that we could walk with him. So that we could talk with him. So that we could cry with him and laugh with him and hope with him and trust with him. That's what, that's what godliness is all about, church. So often, good Lord, we get so caught up in all these goofy deeds without having a relationship with God. And listen to me. When you have a right relationship with God, you'll be willing to go for the, to go to the cross. You'll be willing to die. It won't matter. When you got a right relationship with God like Paul did, it don't matter what God asks you to do. Woo! I'll do it! I don't care what's at the other end of this action that you asked me to do. Why? Because I have a relationship with God. A relationship with God, church. Listen, 
The truth is, so often we think godliness is something we do instead of who we are to be. And who we are to be is godly people. Who we are to be are those individuals that are good and acceptable in the sight of God. You see, as, you read, as I close, just the last few minutes, I want to take you back to Genesis where it tells us that Enoch walked with God. And this is going to be a little bit of teaching because when you read these words, walked with God, I want you to understand they represent a personal, intimate relationship with God. They represent walking with God speaks to our intimacy with God, like I said. It speaks to our love for God. It speaks to our devotion to God. And when you read Hebrews eleven five, where it says Enoch pleased God, it speaks to the behavior that arose from that relationship with God. They're two different things. Hebrews 11 speaks to the, the, the deeds and the behavior and the character that arose from his personal devotion to God, from his intimacy with God, from his inseparability from God. You see, the reality is the devil's going to do all sorts of things to try to separate you from your devotion to God. But I want you to grasp this, that no matter what came Enoch's way, it didn't separate him from God. If you think a a, a dude that's 365 years old didn't have some difficult days in his life, I don't know what what planet you're living on. Because he lived on the same planet we lived in. And the Bible said, in this world, you'll have trouble. They had it 2,000 years ago, 5,000 years ago, and 50,000 years ago. And they'll have it 50,000 years still if the Lord doesn't come. But in those 365 years that he lived, he was inseparable from God. Nothing separated him from his intimate relationship with God. That's where godliness begins, church. Here's what I want you to understand. Godliness begins, a few things. Godliness begins when we learn how to walk with God. Godliness begins when we're willing to hold God's hand. That's where godliness begins, right here. You and God. God puts out his hand. And we take, that's where godliness begins. It begins with a relationship with God. When we're willing to take his hand, church, godliness begins when we, like Moses, can talk to God like you talk to a friend. The Bible says Moses talked to God like he talked to a friend. Like you pick up the phone and chat with your best friend. Moses talked that way to God. Moses would sit in his tent And God would descend and they would have a personal, intimate, loving conversation and relationship. That's where godliness begins, church. When we have fellowship with God and communion with God. When we have breakfast with God and lunch with God and dinner with God. When we go to work with God and we go to the break room with God. Do you understand? When we go through the storm with God. When we call out to God and cry out to God. Like we call out and cry out to our very best friend. That's where godliness begins. Godliness begins when the doormat to every area of our life has a big welcome sign to God on it. Where the door is not locked and there's no barricades and there's no blockades. And we stand there as a man, as a woman and say, here I am, God.
The door to my life is open. I'm not closing this area and I'm not closing that area. I'm moving all the obstacles and the blockades. And I want to have communion with you, God. That's where godliness begins. With a heart of devotion to God. It begins with an intimate, up-close, personal relationship with God. That's what godliness is all about. And this is the kind of people we should be. Godly. If it's your desire and your heart's passion to be good and acceptable to God, godly, I want you to stand to your feet. Because this is how we're going to pray. I believe with all of my heart, and I'll be the first one to confess, I can be closer to God. I can be closer to God. I can have a more personal, intimate relationship with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. I'll be the first to admit there's times in my life where I have doors closed. In my own strength, I'll take care of this, God. My own power, I'll do it. My own wisdom, my own God. Pride. I I want you to know that it just... What God is calling us to tonight, above everything else, if we want godliness in our life, is a more personal, intimate relationship with Him. And if you're here tonight and you say, God, I could be more intimate with you, I just want you to lift up your hand. God, I... I could be more intimate. That's what he's challenging us with tonight. To make him top priority in our life. That we seek after him and an intimacy with him above everything else. And if there's anything in the way of that tonight, I want you to lift it before the Lord and let him take it away. Father God, I just thank you for your word this evening. I thank you, God, for your presence and your spirit that was in this house tonight. I thank you every time, Father God, that we have the privilege to sit underneath of your word. The privilege that I have to speak your word, God. I'm a man made of flesh, God, and yet you entrust me with the word of God. And I pray first above everyone else, God, that the words that I spoke, I would make real in my own life. I pray, God, that every one of us that have heard this word would respond to it in such a way, God, that we would open up the door to every area of our life and let you in. God, that we would love you with all of our heart, with all of our mind, with all of our strength, with everything that we have, God. I pray that we would love you to the fullest potential that we have. And I pray, God, that it would be able to be said of us, not, while, not, not one day from now when we die and we're laid in a grave, not after we've lived our life and done what is pleasing to you. I, I pray, God, that even tomorrow someone could look at our life and say, you know what? They walk with God. I pray that that would be the testament and the testimony of everyone here, that it could be said of us that we walk with you And that we're pleasing to you. And when we know that, Father, we know that we're godly and we know that we're good and acceptable. I thank you, God, that you have not left us to achieve this on our own. But that you have given us everything we need pertaining to life and godliness. Godliness isn't beyond any one of us in this house tonight because you've given us everything that we need. Let us use what you've given us so that we can be good and acceptable and pleasing to you. I pray all these things in Christ's holy and precious name and all of God's people said, amen. Can we just bless the Lord church for his word?
Amen. As always, if you have a special need, be happy to tarry with you, pray with you. Our prayer team will come. We'll anoint you, whatever. Otherwise, it is my challenge and the challenge of the Holy Spirit to go and be godly this week. Amen. Bless you in the name of the Lord as you go.